Have you ever wondered where stories like Friday the 13th originate? Why do we tell stories about maniacs roaming summer camps, looking to take revenge on unsuspecting victims? Well, in this episode of Mythic Existence, I investigate one of the most notorious figures from the halls of legend, the Cropsey Maniac. A man who was dealt such horrible injustice that he transformed into what you might consider a monster. Before we get into the story, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform, leave a five-star review, and follow Mythic Existence on social media. Every click counts and is deeply appreciated. Like most legends, the Cropsey Maniac has many different forms and variations. Each story has small permutations that make it unique. But for teens in New York during the 1970s, many had heard of the story of Cropsey in one form or another. Before Cropsey made his turn to revenge and became the maniac, he was a well-respected family man named George Cropsey. Most often, he had an honorable job such as a judge. This position gave him both a good reputation in town, he was loved by his children and wife, and it afforded him the ability to purchase multiple properties. As the story goes, George bought himself and his family a small cottage on Maston Lake outside of Worsboro in upstate New York. During the summer, the family would visit. Sometimes his wife and children would go for the whole week and he would go on the weekend. But one fateful night while George was back home, a tragic death occurred. A popular version of the story says that some of the campers snuck out to roast marshmallows. The flames from their fire overran their camp and burned down the Cropsey family cottage with his wife and kids inside. Stories about this original death are always an accident, but there are often many versions. Sometimes his only child drowns, his wife may be burned during a cookout, or his children might fall down the side of a hill and die by hitting their head on the side of a boulder. Whatever way this first death occurs, George always reacts the same way. After hearing the news, something inside of him flips, and he becomes, understandably, outraged. But this outrage turns quickly to revenge. He swears that the campers will pay for their crimes. What happens next shows the metamorphosis that George has gone through. He is no longer George, he is now the Cropsey Maniac. At the camp, one of the campers is found gruesomely murdered. One by one, The campers start to be picked off, and Cropsey leaves evidence of his crime with his calling card, which is a note with his name on it near the body. After the death of the initial camper, the camp counselors and the camp owners consider closing shop. After deliberating, they decide that it's best to stay open, but with a caveat, that counselors will sleep with knives, axes, or rifles. But despite this added layer of protection, Cropsey continues his bloody revenge. One night, a counselor is awoken by terrible screams coming from a nearby cabin. He enters to find a camper gruesomely bleeding to death, and a man with white hair and bloodshot eyes standing over him holding a bloody axe. 
Cropsey has returned, and the counselors are now confronting him face to face. The brave counselor chops at Cropsey with his axe, but only catches part of his leg. Like Theseus leaving a trail in the Minotaur's labyrinth, Cropsey leaves a trail of blood as he runs away from the camp, bleeding profusely from his axe wound. The state troopers are called in and follow the bloody trail to its end. They come across a cabin in the woods and burn it to the ground. They search but find no evidence of him. Because of this, they presume him dead and close the file. But on the anniversary of the death of Cropsey's family, you can still see his shadow limping on the shores. There are many variations of the Cropsey story, but some motifs stay the same. He is always a revered member of town. This may mean he's a judge, a hardware store owner, or a member of the city council. At times, he is a guard at the camp himself, but he always has a wife and at least one child who die at the camp, or sometimes out of school. The death is always an accident. This could be the famous drowning, or a camper's rifle misfiring, even the fire from cigarettes the campers shouldn't be smoking. After this first death, Cropsey reacts pathologically. He turns white and swears revenge. His murderous spree often mimics motifs documented in the Arne Thompson Uther Tale Type Index, which classifies story structures found in folklore. There might be Motif S115, Murder by Stabbing, Motif 193.4, Mangling by Axe, or Motif S113, Murder by Strangulation. He leaves a calling card to let people know that the terrifying Cropsey is responsible. After the first killing, the authorities are called, and a chase ensues. Ulrich calls this the perennial return of the victim, in which the killer, in this case Cropsey, keeps coming back. Cropsey is wounded, but gets away. He is thought to be dead, but his presence still haunts the neighborhood, which is motif E-275. People hear strange noises and haunting laughs coming from the barn that he inhabited. These camp stories are not just told without a purpose. They serve important functions amongst the counselors. The stories told here were collected in the 1970s in New York among camp counselors. Summer camps are liminal spaces in between pure youth and adulthood. They take place away from society and the city, in the woods, but still have a deep sense of community. Stories like this serve as a way to in part escape from normal life, but also to build solidarity among the campers. It is a sort of initiation ritual to make sure the new campers feel like they are part of the group. Perhaps it is, above else, a way to ensure conformity. They warn that if you play with fire, use guns, or swim in unsafe areas, there might be disastrous consequences. But this is not the end of the Cropsey story. A recent documentary called Cropsey shows how the legend spread to Staten Island in the 1980s. Stories warned of a maniac that lived in the tunnels of an abandoned sanatorium that had been called the Seaview Hospital. It was said that a mental patient with a hook for a hand had escaped and that he would abduct children and take them to his underground lair. But it turns out that some of these stories had a real origin. Not far from the Seaview Hospital, there was once a school called Willowbrook State School for Children with Learning Disabilities. The school was closed because of horrific conditions. One of their former janitors, a man named Andre Rand, was out of work after the closing and had been living in a makeshift homeless shelter not far from the school and in turn, Seaview Hospital. During that time, several children went missing in the area. 
He was implicated in many of these disappearances and was sentenced to 25 years in prison and found guilty for kidnapping. While this case is certainly different from the Cropsey stories from the camp, it is not unlikely that it migrated and found a new context. And in this version, the stories referenced a very real and horrific occurrence haunting the town. The Cropsey story is interesting for many reasons. At the camp, it shows how we use legends to moderate people's behavior by telling them if you do this, there might be horrific consequences. This same story might morph and find a way to articulate real dangers that exist in the real world. Please follow Mythic Existence on social media, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and leave a five-star review. As always, I'm Jack Daly. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.